Welcome to the Virus Rehab and Performance Podcast, episode number 17. In this episode, I speak to David Joyce. David is one of the top performance experts in the world. He has worked at the highest levels of world athletics and with multiple national, world and Olympic champions. He has also worked at two Olympic Games with elite rugby and soccer teams. He holds a master's degree in both sports physiotherapy and strength and conditioning. He has written and co-edited two international best-selling textbooks of high performance and rehabilitation. And the new edition of High Performance Training for Sports has just been released and which is the main topic of this episode. In this talk with David, you learn who is David Joyce, David's present role and work within the field of high performance, the book High Performance Training for Sports, how to get the most out of the content of the book, what's most relevant to you, it's rehab performance, and what about David's advice to you as a practitioner, coach, and trainer. The episode is in English and will be available on your favorite Audible podcast research from the 24th of December. So let's get started with the 17th episode of the Virus Real and Performance Podcast, from the average Joe to the elite athlete. Welcome to the Virus Real and Performance Podcast. In this episode, I speak to one of the best experts in strength and conditioning and performance, Mr. David Joyce. Hi, David. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me. How are you doing? Where are you? Yeah. Uh, going really well, thank you. Um, I am in the front room of my house in Sydney, Australia. Um, it is 7.30 at night or quarter to eight at night and uh, really looking forward to the chat. Nice, nice, nice. Before we get started, David, uh, with the different topics that I have in mind here, because I could speak to you for hours, but we have just one hour of your time. Tell us about your past briefly. Sure. So I am first and foremost a, a, a dad to uh, Matilda and Rory and a husband to Kay. And, but professionally, I am a high-performance strategist and decision-making decision coach. I started my professional career as a physiotherapist and I, uh, in Australia and, and did a lot of work in high-performance sport in Australia and, and Great Britain. And then I did what I found, and I'm not sure if it's the same with yourself, but I, I found that it was great and I loved problem-solving and I loved um, helping people, but I, I also felt that it was a, um, I needed to know more. I needed to know more to really understand performance. So, uh, you know, a very, very long time ago, I, I took the decision to become a strength coach as well. And so I did a master's in sports physiotherapy and a master's in strength and conditioning a little bit later. And, and I guess probably for the last 15 years, I've been a high performance director running sports teams around the world, in Australia, in China, in, um, in Europe, in the UK across a number of different sports, Premier League, international rugby, Australian rules football. And my remit basically has been to lead teams of sports medicine experts, physiotherapists, strength and conditioning coaches, sports scientists, um, nutritionists, psychologists, recovery, physiologists. And then um, more recently in the last few years, I deal primarily with big sporting organizations in terms of sports strategy, like how do we look after our athletes in quarantine? How do we, um, how do we 
develop our coaches? How do we set a, a, um, a strategy for performance support in Australia so that we are set up to succeed in the Olympics in 2032? Because that's they're, they're here in, in Brisbane. So, uh, And I do a lot of executive coaching on top of that of, of people in our sort of field, um, but also in business as well. So... Yeah, it's a it's a, a variety a, a varied role that I have, and it certainly keeps me uh, out of mischief. Very interesting. But you have been also working with, or are still working with, professional team teams in, in back in the in, in Australia. But you were also in China, if I don't recall it. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you know that is a totally different culture, and 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 I'm really <laughs> curious about how. How did you adapt to with your great experience to be able to implement some new things in China, which maybe seem like like a little bit of rigid when it comes kind comes to to new things and new stuff? Can you yeah, explain? A, it? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's a it's a really excellent question. Um, so that was in 2010, and I helped lead the Chinese Olympic team across um, 14 different sports, um, which is a, a lot, <laughs> um, across sports science, strength and conditioning and sports medicine. And uh, I guess the, the hardest thing obviously is not being able to speak the language and, and having to adapt to different customs and different ways of doing things. And what I found was that I just learned so much about a different way of training, you know, Frank, it's, um, it's just so interesting. The way the Chinese go about their training is so completely different yeah. to what you and I would be used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess I, I learned, I, I, I'm confident that I taught quite a bit, but I'm even more confident that I learned even more, yeah. particularly with respect to, you know, skill development and, and the like. So it, it was fantastic for me. It was very, very hard, but it was it was a fantastic experience. Yeah. And how, how long were you there? How, how many years yeah. were you yeah. there? Yeah, so I was there for, for two years, two years. Um, le leading up to and including the, the London 2012 Olympics. Okay. And then I had the option of doing another four years up to, to Rio, Okay. Um, to the Rio Games, but um, uh, my girlfriend, now my wife, uh, was working and living in Britain, and so we needed to spend a bit more time together, and so I um, elected not to take up that opportunity. <laughs> so I, I, know, I know it was one that was missed, but you know, family, <laughs> yeah, family, comes, first. family yeah. comes first. Yeah, and uh, that is so true, David. But having in mind, if we stay in China, what it, what was the main thing that you focused on when working with so much sports at the same time? Yeah, um, well, I guess the thing is that you need, what I needed to do was to really understand, um, first of all, the sports and I needed to gain trust. So that, that was critical because, you know, here's a so-called expert, expert going in to tell the Chinese about diving and and um, table tennis and things that they, they dominate the world in. So who am I to tell them ab about anything, you know? 
So I, I really needed to gather their trust and to show that I was on their side um, to learn about the sport, to learn about the culture and, um, and really to demonstrate my value. And my value is certainly in the early stages was to show that if we were able to keep their athletes training and not injured, then they were a, a greater chance of being able to perform well. And so I guess that was the that was the main thing is was the the athletes um, health and and resilience. But the other thing that I really wanted to do was not to leave at the end of a couple of years and then everything falls apart. So I spent a lot of time teaching my colleagues in China about the sorts of things that I was doing and learning from them about the sorts of things that they were doing. So that whenever I left, it was something, there was a legacy there. There were, there were things that they could continue with. And, and I've been lucky enough to go back there several times since, and I'm always welcomed back because I think I was able to demonstrate that I, I wasn't in it for myself. I was, I was genuinely in it to, to help the Chinese athletes um, be as good as they can be. do understand what you're saying sir but one thing comes to my mind when you see the the potential of when it comes just to people the, the amount of people that you have in china and the amount of medals that they win year after year during the olympics and you are explaining that to us now in how to just get the trust of them also to be reliable in what you're doing it it in make it happen during those six years should be a, a great experience because if you have like less time you don't are you're you're not able to to be part of their group or their culture but you got the experience for almost six years and i think that follow them the, the steps from the olympics to towards after olympics uh, will will have a, made a huge impact for them as well. Have you are you in contact with them today? Do you yeah. do you discuss uh, things with them? Are you helping them? Because I yeah um, no 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 I, I definitely am in contact with them. Um, and um, I mean the, the reality now is that I'm I'm fully enmeshed enmeshed in the Australian system. So it would be a conflict yeah. of interest for me to exactly. work with Australia and China. Um, but you know, I, I've got, I've got friends there and, and mm. I, I firmly believe that what we try and do in our job, Frank, is to, to help everyone succeed. And, yeah. um, so I, I guess that I, I, I can't, um, I can't give away secrets to other nations yeah. that, that we're working on here, but, you know, I'm a firm believer if that, if you give a little bit, you get a little bit as well. And, and I just think that we can gain a lot more by, by being collaborative rather than competitive all the time. So that, that's kind of my approach. Yeah, nice, nice, well said. Having in mind that you have done a lot of work with performance medalists, people around Australia, and you're actually one of the experts in the world in your field, it's in my opinion, and, and many others as well. And what brought you and your colleague to write the high performance training for Sportsbook for almost six years, I think the first yeah. edition was. 
Yeah. Um, oh, thank you, Frank. That's, that's very kind. Um, uh, funnily enough, at the time, the way it came about was um, we were writing a book about performance rehabilitation. Okay. And what, what I had this really strong sense was that um, there are a lot of sports medicine textbooks out there, but no one, none of them really had much of a, a clear framework for performance. It was all about getting an injury better, but not really getting performance. And I guess with my background and my, my co-editor, Dan Lewandon, our background is really about performance. Yeah. And so we, we set about um, writing a performance rehabilitation book. And we spoke to a number of different um, publishers and we eventually got it down to two and we chose one and then the other one came back and said oh listen we're, we're really disappointed you didn't choose us would you write a book for us as well and um, foolishly we said yes and that became high performance training for sports and it was one of the best mistakes we ever made and so really what we wanted to do was to have the world's best experts the best minds about performance writing in their own words about their area of expertise their area of knowledge it's, it's my belief and dan's also that there is no one person that knows everything yeah. and everyone has got their speciality so let's get them to write about that but let's do it in a way that is a almost almost like a conversation like what we're having now um, it's not, it's not um, reference after reference after reference. It is almost like you're speaking to Matt Jordan or Nick Winkleman or Martin Boucher or, or someone, and they're just telling you everything they know about speed or coaching or influence or movement efficiency. And so that was 2014, I think. And so we published that and it became a worldwide bestseller and we were really amazed. And um, the, the publishers put it into six or seven or eight different languages. And, wow. um, and, and it was great because it enabled us to um, connect with people all around the world, like mm. yourself. And you and yeah. I, I think you and I first made contact in about 2015. I was like, yeah, that's correct. After I read your book. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, and so that, for me, the, um, the, the best thing about the books is being able to connect with people all around mm. the world and, and to hear stories and to share stories and to, to learn and to teach and those sorts of things. And, mm. and the book has been able to allow, uh, allow me to do that. Like I've been to places in the world that I've, I would never have been to otherwise. So I'll, I'll forever be grateful. Yeah, nice, David. And if we take a look about, uh, or we talk about a little bit about the book itself, because for, for me, it was a game changer. I, I was reading also every, I don't recall them. I don't remember. Every, every day is game day. Every day every. is game day. Thank you. And those two were like a game changer for me because I, I have read a lot of books and yes, I, I try to learn every day, but when you get the context in one book, when you get like a mini Bible of every kind of piece in one book, it becomes a little bit more easier for me as a practitioner to use it. You understand yeah. me? 
and and that was the beauty of it because I could like take exercises and drills from the everyday is game day and the context and the science behind from your book and having those two I changed a lot as a therapist and as a trainer as well because I was used to to do the things that I thought was okay and the it, it went well, but if you are able to see that you can evolve your skills, even, even though you're working as a trainer or as a coach or as a physiotherapist, the work gets much funnier. Yeah. And yeah. having yeah. that resources, it helped me a lot. And I think that many of us listeners recognize this. And actually, thank you guys for giving those those great resources that we can work on upon our work. Yeah, um, oh, thank you. I, I, what, we, what we really were committed to doing was to make sure that the second one was enough of a change so that people felt there was value in buying the second one rather than just the first one. And so most second editions of most textbooks are around about 30% different. There are, there's, you know, a new cover, a couple of new <laughs> graphics, uh, one or two new chapters and an updated uh, introduction. Um, but we felt that that wasn't enough. And so we, we set about effectively completely changing it. And um, so as you, as you say, like the, the context is there and the, the style is there. But I mean, the reality is it's about 80% different. There are 16 new chapters. There are 35 new contributors. Um, and, and, you know, every, every single chapter has been, is either completely new or, or really heavily updated as well. So yeah. um, we're, we're really confident and we, we can look ourselves in the mirror and say, if you own the first one, you would not be disappointed by spending money to get the second one you wouldn't think oh that was a waste and that's for sure <laughs> yeah well that, that i mean that it sounds silly but that was actually what was my my prime concern was that people felt like it was value to value. get the second one and you really get bucks for the money for sure and it's not just to advertise for your book because and indirectly I'm doing it, but it's a great resource. So please get it. You will get the oh, link in the you. podcast. And, and having in mind with you name chapter, you name the, the word chapters. So this is this is this is your fault. Okay. <laughs> you have like in the new edition, you have 27 chapters. And if I put you in a in a bad position now, David, what which chapters are your favorites? Uh, yeah, wow. I, I, I really don't like that question. Um, <laughs> um, so I guess, um, so I, I don't have any favourite chapters, but what I will say yeah. is that um, uh, Rhett Larson's chapter is fantastic because what he does is he writes about warm-up, which all of us will do, um, and most of us will take for granted. Yeah. But he puts a completely different paradigm on it and uses it as training. And he writes in such a beautiful way. Mm -hmm. um, I love Brett Bartholomew's chapter. 
about influence because what we really wanted to do in this edition was not just have the really important things like aerobic capacity and strength training and the like, but we wanted some, I don't like the term soft skills because there's nothing soft about them. I prefer the term um, human skills. Yeah. And we wanted to have some chapters about the human skills that tie it all together. And Brett did a fantastic job in his chapter about that. Mm. But um, if you if we should stick if you stick there, David, sorry that I'm interrupting because this is really okay. important. I think in my mind, when I have read the Brett's uh, chapter, and it's amazing because in in my mind, when you get stuck in just the anatomy or the physiology behind training, and you don't get into the environment around it, it's worthless to be strong or good enough on the pitch. If you understand that's what right. I mean. Yeah, so no, that's an incredible. incredible chapter, and it's yeah, incredible no, to put in put it in the book as well because it's important. Yeah, no, to... no, you're absolutely right, and we're really proud um, that we've got that because, yeah. as you say, and uh, you know, you're a very experienced um, uh, practitioner and coach, so you you know that. But there's uh, there are lots of coaches out there that are academically very good and know everything about actin and myosin and, and hamstrings. But ultimately, it's about how you connect with people and how you influence. And then, mm. uh, and on top of that, the, the chapter that um, Nick Winkleman wrote is just yeah. ast astoundingly good, astoundingly yeah. good. Um, because he, he takes the, the reader on a story you know, and it's not, it's not, you know, in a traditional textbook way, it is, he tells a story and then by the end of it, and you, you, you're kind of reading it because you're just interested to know what happens. Um, yeah. But by the end of it, you realise you've learned a lot. And then, and then, and hopefully for your readers or your listeners, sorry, um, as well, the, the chapter on, on the chapters on um, mental health, mental performance, uh, retraining that Dan and I wrote, um, and and also learning um, will will really help your listeners as well. Yeah, and they it will do if you mention Nick as well as a, one of one of the mentors that I have had the past years and uh, have the opportunity to talk with him as well. When you when you when you speak about language, <laughs> uh, I get back to China. <laughs> you didn't speak the language, mm. but you could provide the knowledge by using your knowledge as well as the language of sports. You understand what I mean? And, and, and even though you couldn't speak Mandarin, you could apply that for six years. But I think if, if you didn't have the experience that you had or the knowledge that you possess, it would be rough to get out with that knowledge to people that you can understand uh, in their language. So yeah. it's so important. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I was I was only in China for two years, but um, I think two years. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, you, you, you're right. I mean, I was lucky that I, um, in most of the times, I had a, a, an interpreter with me, so that that was helpful. Yeah. But but what what I did learn was, um, you know, the the way the way someone will interpret that that interpret what you say is is not so much of the way we talk is or what sorry so much of the way we communicate is the the way in which we talk not just yeah. the words that we say exactly and and so you, you have to be really creative about that 
about mm. how you get your message across. Mm. And you also need to make sure that your message is very simple. And it helped me be a better coach and a better um, practitioner because it really helped me simplify my message. Mm. I do understand and that. I, I need to be really clear because even if I had the best interpreter in the world, something would get lost in translation. Mm. So, you know, I, I had to be really clear and, and I hope, I hope that that has stuck with me um, to this day. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is that when I see, for example, the table of content of a book, which I almost do frequently, and, and if I see the table of content of your second edition, it seems like, and I may be wrong here, so you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's a red thread from chapter one to chapter 27. Just a, an example. Um, promote uh, Chapter three, promoting mental health. The next chapter is optimizing movement efficiency. Yeah. That is like, like a puzzle, you know? Because if I don't have a mental health that is good enough or delivering it as a coach, it will be more difficult to optimize the athlete's performance and the efficiency of, of, at the same yeah. time. Yeah, no, so it's, I mean, it's very astute for you to pick that up. I, I guess, I think there's probably two answers to this, Frank. One is, um, the way we structured the book in the three parts and the, the chapters within those three parts was very intentional. So we did want there to be a bit of a thread. Mm. Um, but I guess the, the other thing to think about is the fact that there's no aspect of performance that exists by itself. Exactly. And we're, we're limited by the structure of a book that you have to write in one chapter, then you have to write in another. But the reality is the way you would do it in real life is you'd read a bit from one chapter, then go to another one, then go to another one, and then you'd, you'd jump all over the, the, the book. Mm. So I don't, I don't think that it's a book that's designed to be read from page one to, to page 433 in that sequence. No. You definitely can, and it makes, you know, that, that you would lose nothing by doing it. But what I encourage your listeners to do is to read the chapter that is most relevant to them at that time. Yeah, exactly. And then and then start to jump around a little bit, and and you'll find. I just I just think that it is probably a more rewarding way of doing it. It's not it's not designed necessarily as a storybook where you you have to read twenty chapter twenty two before reading chapter twenty. No, 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 no. No, no, and, and, and I, I do understand that. And of course, the, the, the book should be read as where you are, as a therapist or as a coach. But in my mind, it's so beautiful to see that every chapter has something to do with next one yeah. and with the chapter before. <laughs> yeah. So I don't get stuck. I, it's like if I read chapter 11 with Macmillan and the speed one, I think was 11, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I don't get stuck because I do know that if I'm strong enough, I can be fast enough. And if I want to be, get faster, I need to produce more force. So it's yeah. good for me to read the chapter 10 about strength training. Yeah. So I can apply the things that Macmillan and, and Maureen or Benoit 
um, applies in chapter 11. So that is yeah. so good to have that you, you just, you, you don't get stuck if you understand what I mean. Yeah, no, no, I, I appreciate that. And, and I guess the other thing to, to think about there too is to go, right, well, um, before that, you, it's one thing being strong, but you also need to be efficient. Exactly. So there's, a, there's an element of that. And then it's one thing knowing all this sort of stuff, but how do you influence your athlete? And this is where it becomes a, a circular yeah. sort of thing. And, you know, the, you could almost go, well, where do I start? And then the reality is you could start anywhere. Yeah. Um, what we've tried to do is explain that in the introduction, which I think um, is, is reasonably clear about, you know, why, why we felt the need for a new book, why, um, how, how you should use it and, and the like. And, and also what Dan and I see is the changing face of world sport. And so we tried to set that up as the context and then we let the experts tell their stories. That's completely awesome. And if we just jump down to chapter 27, the one that you wrote with Daniel, uh, it, an interesting one. And it was actually the first one I wrote because, or I read because it's, it's my field retraining yeah. the injured athlete or the injured person can you talk about a little bit of, about how you did you how did you form that chapter what inspired you to form that chapter and what is the content of the chapter briefly i guess the main thing that we wanted to get across was the the philosophy of of retraining an athlete or a person because we, we can't, in, in one chapter, you can't describe rehabilitation protocols or retraining protocols for every injury because, you know, that in itself is a, a, a never-ending book, right? Mm. But what we did want to do was to be able to set some guidelines such that anyone, whether they were a physiotherapist, a strength coach, a coach, a physiologist, would be able to read it and feel like they had a, a reasonable handle on the sorts of things that they should consider when structuring a retraining program. Mm. So that is things like, um, uh, you know, what, what is what is the performance that you're after? So it's not just how much the, has the tissue healed, but what is it that you're really trying to get them to do? Mm. Um, we, we talk about, you know, whether scans are a good idea or not, or when to use them. We talk about why we have pain and what that does. Mm. And that's that's one of that's a big area of my um, professional interest. Mm. Um, and we, we talk a lot about um, the the performance solutions way of, of thinking. So it is not just it's not just um, timelines uh, according to days on the calendar. It is about um, exit criteria and how you're structuring according to physical competencies, which um, which I think is really really important. So hopefully by the end of that chapter, people have read it, whether they've got the extensive uh, experience like you or whether they are just starting out and going, okay, well, now I've got, I've, I've now got a framework because we were, what we wanted to do was provide the framework, the mental models so that you can apply your thinking on top of it. That's the, that's the most important thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well said, well said, David. But does that, does if, that make sense? Yeah, it does, because that you make me come to the next question, uh, just roughly, though. Is, do you mean that rehab is performance? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. I, do, I think, I think you, you, if we're talking from a, um, from a, a an athlete standpoint, mm. um, the moment someone gets injured, you should be thinking about, okay, what is it that we need to get um, the athlete to do eventually? And how do we work backwards from there? Mm. Um, and then I guess the other thing we wanted to do in the, um, uh, the chapter, and this is why it's right at the very end, is to go, right, well, in order to do rehabilitation well, you do need to understand performance. It's not just enough to understand what, how long it takes bone to heal and collagen to knit. You actually need to understand what is it that you're trying to get to. And those preceding chapters sort of help in that regard. And that's why we, we put it there. Um, but I guess the other thing um, that's, that's really important is that we, we emphasise that there is a team approach to this, that, you know, a physiotherapist can be doing it, but al alongside a strength coach, because we're all looking at the same sort of thing through different lenses and different experiences. And that's what we've really tried to bring forward here. So in answer to your question, rehabilitation is performance. Um, but there's also, I guess, one of the things we wanted to talk about in this bit was the level of preparation that you should have before an injury occurs as well. And I'm not yeah. talking about injury prevention, but I'm talking about, um, so we, we talk about the fog of war. So when someone gets injured, you may have to make really quick decisions um, very quickly yeah. and you may not be able to make the best decisions mm -hmm. because you haven't got things lined up. And so we talk in this chapter about when it's peacetime, set up things like um, what's, your, what's your chain of command? Who are you going to speak to? What's the, what's the communication chain? You know, what are, what are the doctors? What's, how do you get the, the whole multidisciplinary team involved? And so you have that in place beforehand because once the injury happens, you don't want to be having to think about exactly. all that other stuff. Exactly. I've done that. And I, I did it wrongly. Many yeah, times. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's painful, right? And yeah. you, don't make, you don't make the right decisions. When someone, when an athlete gets injured, what you want is to know that all those things are already in place yeah. so that you can actually give your time and your, con your, your, your attention to the athlete. Yeah. Not, not ringing around going, oh, who's the best surgeon for elbows? Yeah. One thing for sure about the book is that if you have the mind to explore new ways to get better, the book is the great resource. It's a great resource to finish that, if, if I put it in that sentence. Because you can have tools, you can have equipment, you can have the best facility ever, but at the same time, if you just use common sense and the knowledge that you provide having so many global instructors, teachers, researchers, it will save you a lot of time, in my opinion, <laughs> because you get everything in a book. And of course, yeah. you need to have of your experience and you need to do things sometimes wrong to learn. But when you have the book, you will be doing less Let's, let's wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope so. And certainly what we um, were intent on doing was making sure that we had the, the really wise 
um, practitioners, the really wise coaches that have made a lot of mistakes. Mm. And so they make, they make mistakes. So people like you and I don't have to, yeah. and, um, or we don't have to make the same mistakes anyway. And that's, that's what we really wanted in there as well was them for them. It's not just about knowledge because knowledge is, you know, we can get knowledge everywhere. Knowledge is in Google, right? Um, and information is in Google. What we wanted in this book was wisdom. And there, there is a, there's a clear difference. And this, this wisdom in, in each chapter, that's what we really wanted to tease out of the, of the, the contributors and, and put together in this, this single book. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And like, I, I learned so much and, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're, you're getting the same sort of experience. And I know that for sure the readers will do as well. And if we talk about the, the efficiency that you mentioned when you are injured, um, what are the main goals of this approach? What do you think that it, it should be the golden approach if you, we, we don't have an optimal world? But what do you feel us as practitioners can take with us? Reading your book and with the, uh, you, your experience, what should be the main approach when being or becoming more effective when recovering an injured athlete? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question and, and one hopefully that we answer in the, in the chapter. But I guess what we wanted to... Um, articulate was you start with the end in mind so you need to understand the sport and you know if you're if you're working in a clinic you won't necessarily understand everything about the sport because you know a, a tennis player might come in one day or one, one hour and then the next hour you've got someone who is from gymnastics and the next hour you've got a runner so mm. you can't possibly know everything about all sports but what you can do is ask them about what it is that they're wanting to do and what they're getting, what, what they want to get back to. Mm. And that is not just, you know, that they will say, oh, I want to get back to playing. And then you need to say, well, what does that look like? Because if they play football, that's not enough. You need to know, well, what position do they play? What, what foot do they kick with? Do the, are they, uh, are they someone that sprints up and down the, the wing or are they more of a holding center back? because the rehabilitation is going to change according to that. So you really need to know what it is that allows them to be the athlete that they are. Yeah. And then we work backwards. So there's, a, there's an element of, of having to work backwards and work forwards. So first of all, you diagnose the injury and you go, well, based on my experience, an injury like this is going to take somewhere in the region of six weeks which means that it could be four, it could be eight, or it could be longer. So you've got a bit, you, you know, you, you're not blind. You've got, you've got a bit of a constraint there. Mm. And then you start working backwards. Okay, so this is what we need to get to. Mm. Um, these are the sorts of things they need to be able to do to prove that they are fit to play and fit to perform. And it might be they need to do um, sprints up to 120% of their normal volume. They might need to get up to full speed. They need to be able to do agility at the at top speed and demonstrate that they can um, train without any form of um, um, uh, confidence issues, I suppose. Mm. 
and then you work backwards from there. Okay, well, in order to be able to sprint, what do you need to be able to do first? You need to be able to run. You need to be able to, you know, demonstrate your strength. And so hopefully you've got some baselines and you, you're constantly working back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? And you know yourself. Mm. You're working backwards, but at the same time as you're working forwards going, well, what is the, what is the athlete able to do now? What, what can they do in front of me? And what are the functional goals? So, uh, and th this is where what you and I do, there is a mixture of, of science and art. Yeah, for and the sure. Best, the best physios and the best coaches I've seen actually blend the two successfully. So I don't, I don't think there is any one template, but hopefully in that chapter, we've given a bit of a... yeah. We've given a list of ingredients. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. But having in mind then that you have, you are, in my opinion, reached the highest level in the business of strength and conditioning and performance. That's in my opinion. And I know that several listeners and others are with me. <laughs> but writing and teaching at the same time, because you, you are teaching me as a, as, a, as a reader what to do or what what I can do. So you're a teacher as well, my friend. <laughs> and and, and in, the, in a business that is constantly changing, you know, because you get the social media, you get the physios online, you get the digitally uh, online treatment, everything that you can get now on your, in, on your pocket. What do you think is the best advice that you can give us to us as practitioners whether we want to be evolving our skills for sure to become a better therapist or a coach. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. Um, I appreciate your kind words. I, it's, it's a really interesting question and I, I get asked this quite a bit and I do quite a lot of work in this regard when I'm doing some executive coaching. And for me, it, it gets down to four key areas. The first is your knowledge. The second are your competencies. The third are your experiences. And the fourth is your personal attributes. So let's go through them one by one. Your knowledge. So that is your ability, or sorry, your, your how much information you've got in your head. And that's one of the things that we're trying to solve with this book. Okay, and get that wisdom and get the world's greatest and, you know, and that's why people go on courses and, um, uh, you know, go to university and do those sorts of things. So that's, that's that market. So that's, that's what I call necessary, but not sufficient. So to be a well-rounded practitioner and a well-rounded coach, it's not enough to have knowledge. And we talked about this 40 minutes ago, didn't we? Um, it's, you then need to have the, um, the, the capabilities yeah. or the competencies. And that is things like your negotiation skills, your ability to um, persuade and to motivate. And, you know, when, when someone gets injured, you, your ability to communicate, these sorts of things. Yeah. So you, we've tried to address quite a few of those things in the book as well. What we can't address is experiences. 
And it's a case of, you know, you having to do that. You have to get those experiences and you have to be in situations where you have to solve problems and make decisions and those sorts of things. The closest we can come to in that book is by providing the experiences of other people, you know, and that's, that's kind of what we've tried to do, but it's no substitute for going out and getting your own experiences. And then the first, the, sorry, the final one is your personal capabilities or your personal comp, your personal attributes. And that is your growth mindset. That is your um, willingness to learn. That is your ability to empathize. Those are the things that, you know, you, you need to develop as well. So for, to be a well-rounded practitioner and a well-rounded coach, um, it's about taking an inventory about what of those four things is most important. And that's yeah. where you put the majority of your resources and, um, you know, and, and, then, and then making sure that you're not forgetting the other three as well. Yeah. You know, all of them are really, really important. All of them are really, really important. And you having only one is not, it's not going to be enough. Mm -hmm. um, so to be as good as you are, you, you need to have all four. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess that's one of the things that we, I, I encourage my, the people that I coach. So, you know, I, I coach, I coach physios and I coach coaches. They're, they're the sorts of things that I get them to look at. And I, yeah. and I go through. Yeah. If you put those four as the main important things to have, and I understand them truly, but which one of those four points or four factors do you think are the most, not hardest, but the most difficult to get, to reach? Yeah, um, well, I think it depends on the, the context that you're in. Um, I, I suppose you're not going to get experiences without the knowledge. So okay. if, you haven't, if you haven't done any training um, before and you, you've not been to university and the like, you know, you would be saying, right, well, you need to go and get knowledge. You need to go and get knowledge. You need to go and get knowledge. Mm. Um, what I think that we have when we graduate um, from university is we have a lot of knowledge um, and we get a lot more as we go on. So you, you, the early part of your career is, is all about getting that knowledge and applying that and then developing the skills, the, the, the competencies. And that's something that the experience gives you. And, and also mentoring is that's why mentoring is so important. That's why I think every, every coach should have a coach. And so your, your knowledge is your, your, your ticket to Disneyland, but in order to ride properly, you've got to have all the other parts as well. And, um, you know, I guess what we're trying to do, as I said, is, is solve the, the knowledge and the, the, um, the, the capabilities bit in the book and then it's up to the reader to go and get the other bits. I do understand that, David. And of course, it's up to us. It's up to us as a reader to implement our stuff within the knowledge that you have applied to us. And it's, of course, the main thing with the research, I think, that is that you, you have to do it on your own way to use the chapters, to use the book, to see what functions where you are and not just to copy it 
because it's yeah. difficult. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. So it's not it's not meant as a recipe, you know. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's meant as it's meant as wisdom, and from that you need to apply it to your own situation and your own knowledge, and then that creates your own wisdom. Yeah, exactly. Because your your context and your athletes and your experiences are going to be different to mine, mm. and I know that when you read a chapter, let's just say you read the flexibility chapter um, and I read the flexibility chapter, there will be things in there that resonate with you or that give you a real aha moment. And there'll be things in there that give me an aha moment and they'll be different. Exactly. Even though the information is exactly the same, same. Mm. our context is different. Of course. Nice. So nice. It, it's, not just, it's not just about reading the the information it's about synthesizing it well done well done and well said uh, finally before i let you go because i know that you're a busy busy man what is progress for you david what's progress hmm i've not been asked that question before um i as an off-the-cuff answer i would say the Um, it is getting a little, it's taking a step further every day to in the direction that you want to head. Now, sometimes that is towards a goal, sometimes. But sometimes you don't necessarily have a goal. Sometimes you just not get a sense that this is the direction I need to head. Mm-hmm. And then you discover the goal on the way. But you, you just know the, the general direction. So I would say progress is, is a step forward and making mistakes, but not making the same mistakes again. Mm-hmm. That, that, that would be the way I would answer that question. But yeah, if, if you ask me, if you ask me tomorrow after I've had a chance to sleep on it, I might have a different answer. Yeah. <laughs> I will, I will. That's, a, that's for granted. David, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I have to thank you once again, you and Daniel, for having produced a must-have, a must-have resource for anyone interested in the, in the field of high performance. I really thank you for sharing your knowledge, and I hope that I can catch your mind once again pretty soon. Fantastic. I really appreciate it, Frank. And thank you for, for having me and the kind words and, and your support. You've been a long-term supporter of, of the book. And um, I look forward to hopefully having, um, having a cup of coffee with you in person one day. Yeah, I look forward to that too. This episode is sponsored by the Virus Rehab and Performance Application. The application gives you the continuity to reach your goals at any level, whenever and wherever. The workouts, programs and boot camps are made and customized to your needs and consist of trained therapists and strength and conditioning coaches with long experience in health and fitness. Byris clients range from the novice athlete to World Cup medalists and Olympians. This episode is also brought to you in cooperation with Sparta Science. Sparta Science is the industry's gold standard for full spread machine learning that predicts, improves, and validates individual and team availability. With a simple two-minute scan per person, organizations increase fitness levels, prevent injuries, and accurately predict team's readiness using the world's largest machine learning for first place database.